one of the highlights of the experience of this camp for me this week will be that last song, actually, and seeing Al raise his hand. Because I, I always knew he was a closet charismatic, and now I have proof. Yeah, I was gonna, I'm going to do that, yep. Yeah, so i um, happy to say that the young lady that I was pretty concerned about, we all prayed for yesterday evening, uh, was uh, Baker acted around midnight, and I guess uh, every time I've said that out here, everybody has said, what does that mean? So I think the phrase here is 5150'd. So basically, when a person is perceived to be in imminent harm, either to themselves or someone else, but they've not done something criminal yet, uh, a sheriff can come and take them basically to a non-criminal psych ward, uh, where they can be detained even against their will uh, for up to 48 hours, subject to a psychiatric evaluation. So basically, she's safe, uh, but she did not go without a fight. And apparently, <clears throat> she got out of hand, and uh, apparently this was not a pretty scene, and half the camp was up all night. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? So uh, we'll continue to pray uh, for them, uh, but I'm happy at least to say that the young lady is safe. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, I also think I should begin, uh, before we get to the Bible, uh, just by making a couple of confessions. Three. Uh, So the first two uh, have to do with my mispronunciations and stern rebukes that I've received by uh, a handful of you. Uh, Last night after I finished my uh, evening session, several uh, young people actually came up to me and said, I just need to set you straight. Uh, it's Twitter pated, not Twitter padded. Uh, mea culpa. I am sorry. I repent. Dust and ashes. At the dawn hour, as I was staring down barely my uh, second cup of coffee, I had uh, an older gentleman very graciously uh, correct my pronunciation of J. Gresham. Machen's name. I said Gresham, but it's Gresham, and I was told that I might likely have offended several of the older folks here. Well, if that's what it takes, (laughs) now I know. (laughs) But that is correct. It is Gresham, not Gresham. So uh, we're straight there. The third is probably my favorite. Uh, So I, you know, I woke up this morning to about 40 texts and several phone calls regarding the matter with the young lady last night. I knew I had to deal with some of this stuff, so I, I go outside. And I, I, I've got my, I think this is my first coffee cup, actually, and I uh, was responding to texts, uh, waiting on people to call me back, and I did the unthinkable. I thought, you know, I've got some time, I've got to speak in a little bit, uh, maybe I'll just review the sermon text that I'm going to be speaking on a little bit. So there I am reading uh, Colossians 1, when Miss Philip, right, comes up and discovers me, says, you better not be reading your Bible on your phone, exactly what I was doing. (laughs) Now, you know, in a moment like that, it can be pretty easy just to click that button at the bottom and the screen goes blank or back to, you know, all your little things. I could have covered it up, but I decided, you know what, it's last day of camp. I wish we need to be super transparent here. So I showed her Colossians 4 on my phone and said, yes, it's true, and you have permission to indict me in front of the camp, but I figured I'd just go and do it myself. Um, So, once again, mea culpa. All right, well, uh, let's let's turn our attention to the Word of God now. And if you would, please open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. 
We've been well reminded more than once that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. Let's hear it and let's heed it together. Colossians 4, uh, beginning at verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Thus far, uh, the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you. Uh, we are reminded here in this text pray with thanksgiving, and, and we do pray with thanksgiving. This has been a good, a fun, and a full week. It's been a lot of joy, it's been a lot of laughter, it's been a lot of sweating, it's been a lot of eating, it's been a lot of singing, it's been a lot of rejoicing. Uh, there's also been uh, moments which we've paused and realized the brokenness of this world. Uh, certain sadnesses have uh, overtaken our hearts, even uh, moments of tears. Certainly several occasions for prayer. In so many ways, we're reminded both of the beauties and the brokenness of this world, and we thank you, O Lord, that you are God over all, that your providence is perfect, that your kindness toward us in Christ is unfailing, and that the steadfast love of the Lord is new every morning. We ask now that as we do our best to turn our thoughts and attention to your word, that you'd help us to think our thoughts after you, that you would cultivate within us not only a love for Christ, but a love for the things of Christ, including the work of the Great Commission. Uh, we pray for those who've already begun to travel that you might grant to them safety. Uh, we pray for all of us that you'd help us uh, to carry away from here things that we can actually put into practice. So Lord, help us not be that man uh, who looks in the mirror walking away forgetting what he has seen, but rather, O oh Lord, help us to be both hearers and doers of the word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so we are now in the, uh, in the stage of landing the plane, and uh, there are a handful of things that I would like us uh, to look at as we, as we do so here in Colossians 4. In fact, I should tell you what we're doing in the two sessions. Uh, Al, before you uh, go outside and take a nap, um, what I understand is we're going to do a regular session, and then we're doing Q&A afterwards, right? And then, uh, Santosh, do you want people to be texting you questions, or are we going to do the pass the mic thing? Okay. Okay. All right. So that uh, that is what we're doing. Okay. Uh, so this is this is a fun little text for me in a few ways because of the language uh, that it uses. The more fun part perhaps comes in the second uh, part of it, uh, where the language of walking and wisdom begins. But I want to start actually where the text begins, which is on the idea of prayer. Yesterday evening. Uh, late at night, I was talking with one of the pastors here, and uh, we were just reflecting on, as it relates to evangelism, the importance of prayer. And so as, t- as this is the last uh, session, in terms of like normal session, although I'm not sure if any of these have been normal, um, uh, it would be really helpful to accent the idea of prayer. We've talked about evangelism all this week. Uh, we've talked 
about different texts that encourage us to it, texts that maybe encourage our repentance uh, in certain ways. Uh, we've talked about the way that it's been embodied in the history, not only of the OPC with guys like Machen and Van Til. We've talked about Calvin and how really at the heart of what it means to be Reformed and to be a Calvinist is to be evangelistic. You really can't throw one out and keep the other. They come together as a package. Uh, so now we're at the place where we're all packing up, right? Uh, everybody's looking kind of tired. Uh, several of you really need baths. Uh, yes, I know. Um, and, and, and so what are you going to do next week? That's what I'm kind of trying to, trying to address now. So what? All right, so you came to family camp. That's all fantastic. You go home sunburnt and exhausted. And next week, right? Uh, there's a famous old sermon uh, from a, a famous sermon in the South from an old black preacher. You Friday's here, but Sunday's a coming. Right? And then he flips it around. Sunday's here, but Friday's a coming. Well, I have no clue what day this is. But I know another day is coming, and I wonder what you'll do actually with the things that we have been talking about. And I think the first thing that we should be encouraged to do is to pray. Pray. Uh, As you actually get a little quiet time away from all the busyness, all the energy of friends, all the sugar, uh, all the things that have made up camp, uh, find some time and pray. Uh, I would encourage families uh, to take time, heads of households, dads, moms, take, take a little time and pray together as a family. Talk openly. You know, where, where are we at as a family now on this subject of evangelism? What did you learn this past week? Uh, what do you think? How can we pray? Where have we been challenged? Where are we falling short? Where are we doing well? Where can we do better? How can we pray for our church and our, our pastor and our elders? And I'll, I'll come a little bit more to that. Uh, but I really would suggest that the best thing we could do is exactly what Paul says here. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Any meaningful, effective evangelism is going to have to be driven by the engine of prayer. In fact, one of the things that I'm often concerned about with myself, someone who's spent a lot of time doing evangelism and maybe has gotten a little bit better at it over the years, is frankly, we can all run at times on our own strength. Pastors know that horribly convicting feeling of waking up on a Sunday morning and feeling like, you know, maybe I studied more than I prayed over this text. Or maybe I'm just not prayed up. Uh, Maybe uh, what I need to do is pray more. Well, we all need to pray more, and we can pray together individually as families and with our church. A fantastic idea, if I can say it like that, maybe you think it's a bad idea, but I'm going to call it fantastic, is that you might actually go back from from this uh, week at camp and uh, whether this is, you know, something the pastors initiate or how, however it comes about, uh, it would be wonderful for me to hear that churches decide, you know, we're going to pray together about our ability as a church to reach people around us for the gospel. Uh, we're going to set aside time and actually pray. Uh, you know, we have a little spot uh, in our weekly rhythm where we can get together and just pray, and we pray for things like this. And I would encourage you, if you're, if you're not praying together as a church for the Lord to give you souls... What do you, how are you expecting it's going to happen, right? And uh, there's that language the Bible uses of being good stewards of a little that we might show ourselves worthy to be entrusted with more. Uh, let's pray together. Uh, and, and in fact, it's okay to come away from here saying, you know what, those are some good ideas, maybe a couple of them, a lot of stuff I'm not sure about. That's okay. Uh, but, but Lord, help us understand 
how we can do this better, how we can think about this together, how we can uh, assess honestly and candidly what it is we're doing, what we're not doing, uh, what might be some of the obstacles in our thinking, in our practices, whatever it may be, and how we can get around the corner and really thrive and strive together. But all of that uh, has to begin with the idea and the engine of prayer. That language of being steadfast is resilient, unmovable, like this is where I'm planted. I'm going to pray about these things. And in this context, uh, it's praying with thanksgiving. Paul uses that language of thanksgiving uh, in many of his letters. He begins letters like Colossians and others with it, where he gives thanks on behalf of the church. Uh, And I really get what he says. Paul gives thanks on behalf of the church. He gives thanks that God has rescued people into the church. So the idea would be that we're not simply giving thanks for those who the Lord has saved into the church and is saving into the church and will save into the church. But frankly, one of the things that we could do is simply by giving thanksgiving that we are in the church. To be thankful for that. Because that thankfulness needs to be what drives our sense of compassion for other people. I, I was saying to a, a few brothers earlier this morning, again, um, in our cabin, you know, sleep, is, sleep is a myth. I, I don't know. Uh, it's just been kind of funny. Some people are staying up really, really late playing cards. Um, others get up at, at dawn to watch crickets or whatever as the sun's coming up. Uh, the old guys get up twice in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and wave at each other as we're going down the hallway. Um, it's kind of like a code. You don't really talk. It's just sort of a, you know, it's barely above a grunt. <laughs> right? Um, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, we were talking about the fact that at least, you know, for me, if there is a, if there is a line I've wanted to stay on the right side of, and I, I, I question whether or not I have, and you'll have to decide for yourself, but I, I really don't want you to leave here Uh, with a sense of guilt-driven evangelism. I'm not trying to guilt you into doing something that you don't want to do. The problem with that, of course, is there are things, frankly, at times that we need to repent of, right? Like if I'm not doing things I'm supposed to be doing, I should have a little bit of guilt about that. If I'm not caring for my wife or, you know, encouraging my kids or praying or whatever, right? I, I should ask the Lord's forgiveness for things like that. But then in the spirit and context of thanksgiving, sensing the Lord's grace, mercy, kindness, compassion, and forgiveness, in that context of thanksgiving, we take steps forward. And so that's really where I want to punctuate, is the idea of thanksgiving. We should be thankful. Thankfulness is what causes us, I think, to want to go out and talk with other people. Thankfulness, just being overwhelmed by the love of Christ. You know, frankly, thankful for our place in the church. I was even uh, mentioning to a few people this is a pretty difficult situation with this young lady. I can actually see being a really good thing. Because I know, I mean, we, our church sent like close to 15 kids to this camp. A lot of them come from really sheltered, protected homes where like almost everything's pretty like so good it's almost boring. It's a good way to put it, right? You know what I mean? Uh, things are just kind of healthy and weekly rhythms like church and Sunday school and you've got a nexus of friends and there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, my guess is for other kids at this camp, what this lady, young lady went through last night was, was just earth shattering. What can make a 17-year-old girl contemplate suicide? Wall herself up in a room like this 
uh, having an absolute fit tantrum to the point that a sheriff has to come and against her will take her away uh, bound hands. Well, life is rough sometimes for people. People are broken. Not, not, not fr- frankly, not everyone has it as good as we have it. Some people experience really dark nights of the soul. Some people succumb to those dark nights of the soul. What will possibly fix a heart that is broken that badly? Is there anything but the gospel that can help? The answer is no. Uh, and the Lord's providence last night uh, was really hard. Who knows how the Lord might work in her heart? Who knows what kind of conversations, even right now, they're three hours ahead of us, uh, even right now might be going on with some of those kids, the girls in her cabin. Uh, her counselor, by the way, uh, was the lady sitting to the left of my daughter in that picture. She's from our church. She came to Christ through our church about seven years ago. Uh, now she's graduated seminary, and last night through the night, she's working with this young lady that we're talking about. That's the most broken and beautiful story I could possibly imagine, Right? And what happens next for her, for those kids as they all process this? How can they not talk about this and process it? Uh, how can you not talk about and process things like this? Because this is your life. And even with what this young lady went through last night, I had two people come up and tell me of stories of very similar trauma. Uh, we're broken people. And if you are here as one experiencing grace and kindness, calm and normal, that's, that's wonderful. Be thankful for that. It's really a treasure. Don't feel guilty about it. Be excited about it. Be thankful for the things that you have and be thankful for what the Lord uh, might do through you. Now Paul goes on to say, at the same time that you're praying steadfastly with thanksgiving, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word. Now this is, I love this, okay? A lot of us probably wrestled, okay, so how much of this evangelism stuff is really for pastors and people that are kind of you know, gifted and called for that. And uh, what, what about all the rest of us? And I, I want to just kind of address that for a minute. Because you know, you've got crazy people like me. My wife says, I'll talk to a tree if it'll stay still long enough. The longer I've thought about it, the weirder it gets. Because trees never move. So what is she really telling me about myself? But it is kind of true. Like, I'll, I'll just talk to, talk to anyone. Uh, I was talking with a young lady last night, uh, talking about a mutual friend, Bill Shishko, who uh, I just absolutely love. I know he spoke here last year. I was a little nervous, actually, at the idea of following him, because I, I know I'm like 100 feet shorter than he is, even though I'm taller than him. Um, but he's just a, a mountain of a man, and I've been with him, and, and somebody was describing the way he is, and I totally get it. He, he walks into a restaurant, and you know the people who are sitting next to him end up praying with him. I mean, they don't have a choice. It, it's it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, the, the waiter's name is Christian, and first words out of Bill's mouth is, are you living up to that name? Tell me about your walk with Christ. I mean, you just, you know, you, you don't have a chance of getting out of it, right? Uh, it, it's just like, it's like a visit with the Godfather. It's going to happen. <laughs> okay, and so not everybody is like that. Some of us, my wife, you know, if she were here, would tell you, she's a really shy person. She's comfortable around some of you. Because you're in that circle where she's not shy anymore. But frankly, she does not like talking to strangers. I love talking to strangers. There's no such thing as a stranger to me. But a lot of you aren't like that. I don't think you need to try to feel anxious about being something that you're not. Uh, She would say that one of the things that she's fantastic at is helping me do my thing. 
Uh, she, she's supportive and, and phenomenal in what she's able to do and kind of sets a stage, so to speak, where I'm able to do uh, what I do. And we all have unique gifts and uh, personality strengths that God has given us. But one thing that we can all do is pray. Prayer is not a personality trait. And it's, it's not a spiritual gift. In fact, it's one of the things that we all have in common is access to the throne of grace. We can pray for one another. Paul's particular prayer, though, here is one that as a pastor, uh, I covet. And so for your pastors, I'm going to covet it now for you. And that is that you would pray for your pastors. Because they should be leading this charge in one fashion or another. Paul says, pray uh, for me, pray for us, that a door of opportunity might be open for us, that we might share the gospel boldly as we ought. Okay, Uh, There's a phrase elsewhere that Paul uses in the Bible where he says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. In my understanding, uh, that's particularly laid upon the conscience and the shoulder of ministers that are called to preach the gospel that when they lay down at night, they live with, literally have to go to sleep with the woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Uh, that's part of the burden of the ministry and the joy of the ministry. And I want to be careful because I don't think, not that what I think really matters, Scripture doesn't say that that burden is laid upon the conscience of every Christian without distinction. That is something unique to those who are called, and I would be guilting you too far if I said you should be going to sleep with a woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. So we're making a little distinction there. While you may not have that woe is me placed upon you, you do have the command to pray for those who are called to go and do it, that God might grant them opportunities to do so, and that our pastors might not only do it well, but frankly, help to equip and train the church in the best ways that we as a church can do it. And I've tried to be careful not to micromanage exactly what you do. I I hope I've been successful at that. In fact, I've even said uh, that some of the things that we've done might not go over very well in your setting, and the ball kind of moves around the, where's Chris at? Baseball diamond. Huh? That's the last one ever. But Paul says, pray for us. There are, there are Sundays when I climb up into the pulpit, kind of like last night, where I just I feel like I'm hanging on by a thread. Every pastor knows this feeling. Uh, there are times where simply reading the text is hard. Okay? And you get to the end of the text, like I could use a five minute break, uh, but I've got a whole sermon to preach. Or, you know, someone passes away the day before, or a covenant kid goes rogue and ends up in jail, and you spend half the night there, and it doesn't change the fact that. Sunday morning comes, and I often say to the congregation, do you, do you pray for me? Are you praying for me? Because I need it. If I need it on Sunday morning to look the church in the eye, how much more do I need it the rest of the week to look the world in the eye? Pray for your pastors. Encourage them. Even say, hey, you know what? Uh, whether they're here or not, I, I just went to this family camp, and we talked a lot about evangelism. It made me wonder, what are we doing? What can I do? How can we pray together? Uh, do we need to, can we study this? How fantastic would that be to have like a young person come up to you and say, you know what, I'd like to learn more about how I can share my faith. I want to help grow our church. I believe in what we're doing here, and I want to see other people come to know Christ. Maybe someone else will say, you know, I'm terribly shy, but if you tell me how to pray, I'll pray a lot. <laughs> or I'm a great cook. I can put together a mean Dutch apple pie. I will personally taste that pie for quality's sake 
guarantee that this is a mission-approved Dutch apple pie. So pray in general. Pray with thanksgiving. Pray specifically for opportunities uh, for those that are called to preach the gospel. Pray uh, even that as pastors, we might speak, and I love Paul's language here, as I ought. That not only would there be opportunities, but there would be clarity and faithfulness in the pulpit, out of the pulpit, in season, out of season, uh, because this is part of what we're called to do. Now the second little section here, you notice a little uh, indentation there at verse 5. This is where we're going to have a little fun. Uh, So Paul says, God says through Paul, walk in wisdom. Now this is a big word to me, all right? What direction? Toward outsiders. I'm going to have a little, we're going to camp on that for a minute. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. God gave me the most wonderful illustration of this. I mean, I just stood, stood there looking at it. A couple days ago, uh, we were down by what, what I think of as the pit of destruction. Others refer to it as a volleyball court. And uh, while we're standing there, waiting to play again, you, I'm sure most of you that walked down by that field noticed the 420 little divots in the ground uh, created by, I'm not sure, is that a mole, groundhog, ground squirrel? What is that little creature? A gopher. Okay, we don't have those in Florida. We call them alligators. <laughs> they come up and, anyway. So we're, we're standing there. We're standing there, getting ready to play. There, there are kids everywhere. There are feet everywhere. There's jumping, traffic, volleyballs rolling everywhere. Uh, all these different things are going on. And while we're standing there, one of the holes, I'm staring down into it, or I'm talking, and I'm looking down, and all of a sudden I see this, this cute little face that voice will never distract me, so don't worry. Um, so I see this cute little, you know, fuzzy, whiskered face uh, come up, and he's, he's doing his little thing. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. And we keep talking, right? And after a few minutes, I realize what this little guy is doing. This little guy comes up with a little scoop of dirt at a time, and he's pushing it to the top of the hole. And he goes back down, comes up a little bit later with a little more dirt, pushes it to the top of the hole, Goes back down, he does this for like a minute or so, comes up, and then he's got like this, this little layer, like a little mini shield of dirt at the top of his hole, and he, and he pushes it from underneath, and eventually, you can't even tell there is a hole there, except for the slight discoloration of the dirt. He did his very best to isolate himself from the world of us. Who could blame him, right? Stinky feet bouncing all over his house, right? And these little holes are everywhere. Why might I find that a pretty good illustration? Because I think in our hearts at times, that's what we would rather do is to wall ourselves off from the rest of the world than to do what Paul says here, which is to walk in wisdom. What's the word? toward outsiders. Now, I've been careful to say on the one hand that the woe is me if I don't preach the gospel is something Paul says is uniquely laid upon the shoulders of those that are called, ordained, and installed to the ministry. But look at this verse real carefully because Paul is not talking to pastors. 
He's not talking to ministers, elders, or deacons. He's talking to the whole church to whom he just said, pray for us, that we might be bold, that we might have opportunities. But he also says to the church, in very general terms, I just think this is very simple. I don't know if this is really debatable. Of course, this is the OPC. We can debate anything. But he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. He doesn't say walk away from them. Uh, He doesn't say live in isolation from them. He says uh, that in some way we need to be walking toward people who are outside the church. So in a nutshell, I would say it like this. If we have absolutely no contact with people who are outside the church, there is something wrong. Do we need to be in the world and not of the world? Absolutely. But we need to be and we are in the world. That, that's kind of the point. You are in the world. We're not to be of the world while we are in the world. We need to be wise serf, serpents and harmless as doves. We need to live our life in such a way that while we are in the world, uh, we are not seduced by the world. We are not lured away by the things of the world. Okay, uh, But at the same time, when all the dust settles, we are to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. The in wisdom language uh, is really helpful because you have to be careful in the way that you walk toward the world. There are times, uh, even in our attempts to get to know non-Christians, we might do things unwisely. I'm not suggesting missionary dating. It's the dumbest thing in the world. You don't date someone to make them a Christian. That's, I mean, that's just dumb times dumb times dumb. <laughs> that's about as good as I get with math. I was... I was talking to somebody last night who's getting a PhD in math, and I, you ever been in the presence of an alien? Like someone you just, you're completely convinced, oh, there you are. Yeah. She's telling me in grad school, I'm like, okay, this is a person, she's smart, and then she said math, and I'm like immediately not even hearing the same language, like green tentacles, and maybe you should talk to my wife. I think she knows what math is. I haven't have a clue. My wife's in here, by the way, so you two can talk about math, but I don't understand it. But I know what dumb times dumb times dumb is. It's dumb. It's dumb to missionary date. It's, it's dumb. Yes, ma'am. Dumb cubed. I won't argue with that. I like that. Dumb cubed. I'm going to use that. I've gotten some great il- uh, sermon illustrations uh, this week. By the way, I should say thank you. This is the first time uh, that I've been able to do a family camp like this on this topic, and I'm doing it again in a couple weeks in Michigan, and uh, this has been great, but since I now have some new material, Dumb Cubed and, you know, the, not Groundhog, what is he? Gopher, right? I just can't, I mean, this is going to get better and better, so thank you for serving your, uh, your sister churches in Michigan. Um, yeah, so we, we, we don't go to parties and get drunk trying to evangelize drunk people. This is stupid. <laughs> now you think I'm kidding, but I mean, we actually, our little college ministry there in Florida had a rival ministry set up shop stealing some of our kids with parties where they literally were like having parties with beer and stuff, underage kids showing up, and the thought was, this is, you know, what do you attract college kids with? Dumb. <laughs> Dumb cubed. Anyway, 
uh, Paul's point, walk toward them, but walk wisely toward them. By the way, walking is lifestyle language. You know, it's Abraham walked with God. Noah walked with God. Enoch walked with God. All three are said to walk with God in Genesis. It doesn't mean that they, you know, one day, one afternoon took a stroll. Uh, walking is the idea of a, of a lifestyle. It's like summarizing your life before a watching world. Walk wisely. Walk and walk toward those who are even outside the church. So this might be where I'm pushing a little bit. Uh, you, we at times need to actually make it a point to walk and talk, uh, walk toward and talk with non-Christians. You, you kind of have to, to live in the world unless you live in a bubble. And, and there's nowhere in the Bible we're ever allowed to or encouraged to live in a bubble. That's a virtual denial of who we are. I'd say it a couple different ways. It's jumping the eschatological gun. What do I mean by that? Will you guys stop kissing over there? Seriously? Is this like romantic, like mood music? I'm talking about evangelism. You guys are over there kissing. This is fantastic. All right. Not that you're on the spot or your faces are red. You hear wedding bells? Nice. I yield. I yield. God, the PhD in preaching can't compete with the New Testament scholars, so I know when I'm beat. Well, I was saying something. <laughs> Hold on for a second. It'll come back. It'll come back. Okay. Jumping the eschatological gun. Okay. Now, there is a time coming when we'll all be in heaven and we won't be sharing prayer requests for broken, painful stuff and we won't be evangelizing. We will only be with one another. We'll be with the body of Christ and the Christ of the body and ever shall we dwell in the glorious presence of the Lord. And beloved, that is not yet. So don't jump the eschatological gun and try to create heaven on earth. It's never worked. And it's a denial of the Great Commission. It's a confused understanding of history. <clears throat> and it's, frankly, schizophrenic. It's to pretend that we're already out of the world while we're really actually still in the world and actually have something to do that's really important until we are out of this world. So be mindful of where you're at in history. Be mindful of what we are as a church. Uh, there is a, uh, there, there's an old theologian and, and uh, politician in, in Holland um, named uh, von Trinstren uh, who had this little phrase uh, referring to some of the dynamics over there uh, that might illustrate maybe a slight concern for me, which is, uh, this is it. Our, our strength is in our isolation. You made a great Orthodox Presbyterian. Thank you for pushing back. But I think, if we were honest, there's a little bit of that in us. There are times... We find it easier, safer, more protective to build up high walls and try really hard to keep the world out, right? We very understandably, I mean, I've got kids, I've got a daughter. You want to see the bear come out of me. I mean, just, you know, make me feel like my kids are threatened and you just, it won't be pretty. I get it. You can see my hands just starting to like grease up for a fight. Okay, I, and I get protectiveness. I, I often, literally, will lay awake at night wondering what I would do if somebody tried to invade the home or whatever from this direction. Dads are strange creatures. I, I get protectiveness. And I think with protectiveness, 
uh, and, our, and the desire to see uh, things go well for our families, our churches. I think at times we actually do have an isolation mentality, or at least there's a temptation for it, that we just need to be honest about and say while there's something good and protective about it, the Great Commission is not packaged in terms of strength in isolation. The church is never uh, permitted to live in some version of isolation. It just, it just doesn't happen. The commune version of, Christian, of Christianity uh, is unbiblical. The Reformed ghetto is a myth. And striving to build one is unhealthy. So you know, to whatever extent, if at all, that has sort of infiltrated our thinking, what I'd like to suggest is we need to just kind of own it and back it out of the garage and put something else in its place. Strength in isolation is not strength. It's just an alternative form of weakness. And our strength, like we've been saying, uh, our best defense is actually a good offense. The best way uh, to interact with the world is with wisdom, but not by trying to ignore it. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. That's what Paul says. And we're to make the best use of our time. How much time do you have? How much time do I have? No, I, I didn't mean that like literally. It was, it was, it was rhetorical. <laughs> but thank you. I, several of you, right. You only get a little time here. You only get a little time. I've had the privilege recently of, of meeting an older lady who, um, uh, who's recently been relocated to our area uh, to a rehab facility. She has memory failure issues. Uh, she was very, very strong and influential in uh, BSF, Bible Study Fellowship, and started a ministry to orphans, uh, particularly female orphans in Africa. Uh, some of you probably know her name if I said it, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. Uh, <clears throat> really sweet, godly lady, and uh, visiting her in this rehab facility. We had this wonderful conversation. Uh, I'm one of those guys, every once in a while I get bested by someone really quickly, and it's usually like a, a, a small, godly lady, older lady, that just kind of likes to sit down and be quiet, I'm going to talk. She's one of those. Just oozed, oozed Christ and sincere, genuine. When I was a young Christian, I had this lady, uh, her name was Grandma Ruth, uh, who was, she probably was about this tall, she might have weighed like 90 pounds if she was carrying her purse, and it was as threatening as Mount Sinai, and just, just poured gospel grace in my life. I've got letters from her that she wrote over the years. She was a wonderful influence. She's probably the first person to really disciple me. My wife wears her wedding ring. She never had any kids, and as her health was failing, she asked if Heather uh, would have her wedding ring. We were, we were dating then. She knew I was going to propose, and she offered me her ring. She gave it to me while she was still alive and was there at my wedding. And uh, Heather now wears Ruth's wedding, uh, wedding ring. My daughter's name is Kira Ruth, named after this lady. The lady I met this week was a lot like Grandma Ruth. And she said something while we were sitting there. She said, you know, it's clear I don't have a lot of time with. Frankly, I've been kind of mad at God recently because I'm still here. And I'm just ready to be home. But if he's going to keep me here, I'm going to use the very last of my time, my money, and my energy to serve him. Now here's what I wonder. Why do you have to be old to think like that? Why do you have to get to <clears throat> the end of days to find true wisdom for these days? Uh, why not resolve even now, like right now, with the time that God may give me, however much that may be, with my time, 
my money, with my energy. I'm just going to serve Him. That's what I'm going to do. When I die, I'm going to go see Him, and that's all great. There's nothing better, actually. Uh, why wait to be old, to discover wisdom, and to resolve in your hearts to follow and to serve Christ when you can have such wisdom and such a resolve even now? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You know, some of the things that we've been talking about in our time together reflect on the fact uh, that we don't always have the best answer to the hard questions that some of our non-Christian friends can ask. And I certainly don't pretend uh, to have all the right answers. In fact, uh, like we've admitted, sometimes we have really bad answers. People ask good questions. We realize half an hour later what we should have said. Or we just, you know, we, we should have listened and instead we talked too much. You know, or we use a sledgehammer when a screwdriver will do. We make all kinds of mistakes. We're going to make all kinds of mistakes. But if we're making mistakes, you know what that means? We're doing something. We're trying. We're striving together. And I think that's exactly uh, what we need to do. We need to strive together to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So I'm going to close on this note, by which I mean 10, 15 more minutes. Just kidding. I don't think that's true because I was told I don't have that long. All right. <clears throat> so what are some things that might hinder us? Okay. What are some things that might hinder us from doing the things we've been talking about? Well, uh, I'm reviewing something I said before. I think it's a good note to just kind of end on and be, be honest about. Uh, the things that might hinder us really aren't the things out there. It's not the hedonism of the world. It's not uh, the confusion of postmodernism. It's not all the isms of the world that uh, are our greatest threat, uh, according to Van Til, according to Lewis, uh, according to Machen, according to Calvin, according to the Apostle Paul, according to ultimately Scripture itself. Really, the enemy is not out there. The great threat is actually right here. It's isolationism. We're going to be like that gopher and just try to save ourselves from the world and make sure our kids never hear anything bad or any of these ideas and stuff. We're just going to throw up the tower as high as we can build it and you know, we'll just stay right here, build the reform ghetto and hope no one finds us. <laughs> isolationism. Or, you know, maybe even worse, indifferentism. I just don't care if they go to hell. God's sovereign, he'll sort it out. That's not Calvinism, by the way. And you can see it in the way Calvin lived. That's my biggest thing on Calvin, is if you think Calvinism says God's sovereign, so he'll take care of it, we don't need to worry about it, that's not what Calvin preached. That's not what Calvin practiced. If you believe that, uh, you're a different kind of Calvinist uh, than Calvin himself and even uh, the history of Calvinism. So there's a push. Edge, I think, is the word. So isolationism, indifferentism, and the last one I'm going to use is quietism. Maybe if we don't make a mess, if we don't say anything, the world will just leave us alone and pass us by. Maybe if we don't create that social awkwardness, people will just accept us, we'll blend right in, and we won't have to deal with any of the baggage. And here's what I want to say. Whether or not we are willing to go out to the world and confront it, it's coming to us. It, it's coming to the church. In other words, uh, in a lot of ways, the church, the family, they're under attack. 
everything from gender to worldview to you pick it, uh, it's on. So even if you think you can build these walls and live inside safely, the world has said, no, 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 you don't. We know you're there. We're calling you out. So this is a time. Yeah, I, I like what, what Machen said. You know, we need more C.S. Lewis's, reform C.S. Lewis's to rise up. Uh, someone last night uh, wrote, I don't know if it was a poem that they, I guess it was a poem they wrote. Uh, it was really nice. Uh, we, we need good literature. We need good music. We need good evangelists. We need good missionaries. We need good church planners. Uh, we need people who will pray. We need people who will give. We need young people that will get excited about this. We need Bible studies in places where I can't get. Uh, we need uh, active little missionaries, small M, on fields that, that I'll never get to and neither will your pastor. We need the whole body to do its job because if the whole body doesn't do its job, some other part is just going to limp along and struggle. You're all a part of this drama. You know, I like that language. You're all in this story. And the question really is, are we going to live out our parts faithfully, joyfully, with steadfastness and prayer? Or are we going to pretend to shrink back until the world shines light on us and it says, aha, here I am anyway. The great news is, God has already said, I've got this. And over and over and over, we see examples of God doing Wonderful things. You've seen them. You've heard them this week. You're sitting beside them. You know what God can do. Let's get excited about God, what He's about to do. And uh, finally, let's think even now, what are you going to do next week? This Sunday. How about saying to your pastors and elders, I don't put a little pressure on them, but it's okay. I'm leaving soon. <laughs> How can we pray about this together? What can we do? That was encouraging. That was challenging. What do you think? How can we take a step forward? Uh, those are the things. I, I, the thank yous and the hugs I've received this week have been wonderful, really. I mean, I, I have, have meant a lot to me. They've been fantastic. But you know the thank you and the hug that I really want is to hear a month from now that you're doing something with this, that you're praying about this, that you've been stirred up uh, not just to, hmm, but you've been stirred up to action. That's what we're called to do. It's a privilege to do it. So let's pray, and then we'll take our break, and then we'll come back to Q and A. Am I right? Yep. Okay. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you that you are a God of action and not simply a God of words. We believe, O oh Lord, that you preached the world into existence when you called into existence things that did not formally exist. We believe, O oh Lord, that you preached the church into existence when by the ministry of your word and spirit you called us who lived in darkness into the light of your Son. We who were dead by nature and children of wrath became alive in the spirit and adopted beloved children. And we believe, O oh Lord, that even now you will continue to use your word foremost as it is preached every Lord's Day to open the hearts of sinners and pour grace inside those empty water jars. But we also believe, O oh Lord, that you will use our words as we are encouraged here in Colossians 4 uh, as we speak with words that are seasoned with grace, wisely chosen, that you will use our words somehow to bring people into contact not only with faithful preaching, but perhaps even to hear a faithful gospel from ourselves. 
We ask, O oh Lord, that if we have been inclined to walk away from the world, that you would hear our prayer of confession. We ask, O oh Lord, for wisdom, that as we try to understand and live out what it means to walk toward the world, that you'd help us to do that not only with wisdom, but even with joy. And we pray, Lord, that you would use our simple talents and abilities, whether they be modest or great, and that you would use them for your service. And we ask, O Lord, that in days and years to come, we'd be able to look back and see how our hearts have been stirred up this week, moved to action, and our churches have prospered as a result of these labors that we do together. Bless us now as we take our break and contemplate questions that we might wrestle with in just a little while. In Christ's name, amen.